Hey everybody, welcome to Take Your Power Back podcast. We are on chapter six of Get Out of Your Head by Jenny Allen. If you have to catch up, please go ahead and catch up to the other readings in the podcast um, series. But I'm going to go ahead and get started just to catch you guys up on what we previously read. Jenny Allen explains how we get captive of our thoughts the more we focus on God. The more we focus on God, the more we win that spiritual warfare that's going on in most of our heads, pretty much everybody, if I can be honest. So yeah, the more we lean in on Jesus, learn about Jesus, seek God, the more we can start to control our thoughts, the more we can captivate those negative thoughts and just put them onto Jesus, put them onto God versus dwelling on those things that, you know, cause us to go down a spiral. So I'm loving this book so far. You guys let me know how you're loving the book. She does an amazing job of being honest about her dark thoughts so that we can truly see what she has gone through to start to build up her faith again after her faith started to diminish. So, yeah. All right. So let's go. And mind you guys, um, just like Jenny Allen says in the book, just because you start to focus on Jesus more and God more, that doesn't mean you, you'll never again go through hardship or feelings or thoughts of negativity or toxic thoughts because you you might have those moments but when it happens the important thing is to captivate it to grab it right away and to start thinking of Jesus start thinking of God's word and that's what helps you to change the toxic or negative thought into a positive one all right so let's go to chapter six make the shift a few months ago I gathered a room full of women in my local church to study the things you and I are talking about here We met for six weeks and lives were changed. The first night, those women streamed into the chapel where we were meeting. They were greeted by a giant whiteboard on which was written the question, what are you thinking about? Attached to that board were dozens of brightly colored sticky notes with topics that might be taking up space in their thoughts. Things like these, others' opinions, finances, plans, the holidays, the weekend, the news. Before the women in the Bible study took their seats, They were asked to identify a few of the thoughts that were true for them and peel off those sticky notes. It was a challenging task. Following that evening's exercise, my team and I assessed which thoughts had been taken and by how many women and which thoughts were still left on the board. If you ask Mr. Google how many of our many thoughts per day are positive and how many are negative, you will discover that the vast majority, a full 70%, some researchers say, are negative. Wow. 70%, some researchers say, some researchers say our thoughts are negative about 70% of the time. Back at the chapel, despite dozens of positive options available on those sticky notes, guess which options got picked? Stress at work, stress over finances, am I good enough, am I worthy, failures, rejection, pain, guess which sticks, stickies remained untouched, choosing joy, strength, good memories, my heart. Hiking did get three takers, so at least there's that. Now, I've got to tell you, based on what these women indicated that they were thinking about, I pretty much knew what assumptions they were making. Assumptions such as, if people knew how badly I'd failed, they'd never love me, and my worth comes from my ability to be perfect. No one I'm not worthy of much. As a result of those assumptions, emotions surface, frustration, anger, despondency, hopelessness, embarrassment, inadequacy, shame. For those emotions, beliefs begin to form. 
I'll never thrive in my career. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be accepted and loved. I'll never get out of debt. From those beliefs, actions are taken. We will numb our pain. We will hide our fear. We will fake our happiness. We will armor up. Wow, just to pause really quickly. I, I can really relate to this. How many of you can relate to that? Where you, you're struggling so much and you feel like everything you're going through makes you out to be a failure. So instead of tackling these things head on, you kind of hide. You do things to numb the pain. You know, one thing that I noticed I used to do to numb the pain was I would busy myself away. I would get very busy as not to deal with the things that would bother me. You know, if my finances were messed up, instead of looking at my finances, I chose to not look at them, you know, because you feel like I can't afford it. I can't afford to pay off my debt. So it makes you not even want to to look at the hard truth that you need to you need to focus on these things, you know, so I can really agree with that. You know, a lot of the times I hid my fear. You know, I put on the, I'm strong, I'm strong, I could do everything by myself, I'm self-sufficient. Where really, I was hurting and really, I, I needed help. You know, I think so many of us go through that out of embarrassment and feeling inadequate. So let me keep going. I'm on page 51. Those actions over time form habits, which craft the lifestyles that shape our days. No wonder so many of us have trouble sticking to change. We fall prey to that 70% negative thinking and then wake up one day utterly defeated. We need a new normal, something those sticky notes only served to confirm. It's true that for some people, including maybe you, the essential emotion in a given moment is something like peace or contentment or joy. But give those same people a day or a week or a month and trouble will have its way. It always does, you know. We live in a troubled world. As Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. The good news is this. Once we recognize that a prevailing emotion is connected to outright life-sucking lies, we begin to see that everything we need for life in God has been given to us already, which means we begin to heal and live lives that matter. Over the past year, since my return home from that trip to Uganda with Esther and Anne, I've taken to calling this escape plan The Shift. When I'm mired in a certain way of thinking that clearly is not serving me well, I can escape that thought pattern and seize a new thought pattern. I can make a mental shift. And by changing my mind, I can change my emotions, which interrupts that entire progression we looked at earlier that results in how I'm experiencing life. The best part? You can do the same. You don't have to spiral downward and end up in a panic heap. You don't have to be held captive by fears and doubts. You don't have to dwell on every horrible thing that may never happen. According to Paul, in order to make the shift from warped philosophies, a.k.a. overwhelming doubt, and barriers erected against the truth of God, a.k.a. 3 a.m. disbelief. And the 3 a.m. disbelief that she's talking about here is uh, there was a time when she was waking up three, almost 3 a.m. every single day and just filled with so much doubt. You know, does God love me? Does God see me? How can God love me when I'm such a failure? You know, those kind of feelings that I've, I've definitely had before. So that's what 3 a.m. disbelief is. To focus on something more in line with the life shaped by Christ, we must take up the weapons of warfare and destroy the strongholds that are dominating our thoughts. First, of course, we must learn to recognize those strongholds. Your mental story map. We begin by being aware of what we are thinking about. 
by zeroing in on the thought and identifying it for what it is. Evil never wants to be noticed. I should mention here, it sneaks in and hijacks our minds and we barely notice anything's amiss. I barely noticed anyway. So a vote for noticing, for thinking about what we're thinking about. If you're game to give the thinking about thinking, think a try, then grab a journal and a pen. Ready? Step one. Referring as needed to the graphic example, write in the center of a blank page the primary feeling or emotion you're experiencing right now. It could be good or bad. You might write anxious or peaceful, overwhelmed, angry, afraid. Whatever it is, jot it down. Now draw a big circle around that word. So yeah, guys, so what you want to do is grab a pen and paper, grab a sheet, right? And what you're going to do is write what, how you're feeling right now, write the emotion you're experiencing right now in the center of the page Then you want to circle that word. So now draw a big circle around that word. Scattered around that large circle, write everything you can think of that is contributing to that feeling or emotion. You might write laundry that isn't done or work or kids or financial stress or body image issues. Draw a smaller circle around each of these contributing factors. Then trace a line from each of them, connecting them to the large one. Nearby, each small circle lists how that factor has been contributing to the emotion you're experiencing. Keep going until you have exhausted all the possibilities prompting the emotion you wrote down. Step two, talk to God about it. Pray with your prayer in front of you and talk through each thing you've written down. Go to his word and look for the truths he's given us. Tell him about it. Ask him to show you what you are being. Ask him to show you what you are believing wrongly about him and yourself. I'm going to read that again since I started a bit. <laughs> talk to God about it. Pray with your prayer in front of you and talk through each thing you've written down. Go to his word and look for the truths he's given us. Tell him about it. Ask him to show you what you are believing wrongly about him and yourself. Ready to move on? Step three, look for patterns and common themes in your circles. Are you worrying about things you cannot control? Are you angry about how you've been wronged? Are you obsessed with what you don't have? Has food, sex, entertainment, or money taken over your thoughts? Are you ashamed of what you've done in the past? Are you self-critical? Okay. So why did I have to go through this exercise? It's so that you can see plainly how your thoughts are building a storyline about God that is either true or untrue. If we want to stop our patterns of toxic thinking, we must notice what's happening and take action. Countering any lies we believe about God with the truth that interrupts the downward spiral. And to do that effectively, we're going to need some help. That's a powerful exercise right there, you all. I really hope you, you, know, you take time to do this exercise so that you can clearly see what's contributing to the emotions that you're feeling. Because only in knowing the truth can you bring that to God. And then in knowing the truth, can you be healed? You know, you can't, you can't heal from lying to yourself. You can't heal from numbing yourself. You heal through being self-aware, from being truthful with yourself. And oftentimes, people who are self-aware think that they're being truthful with their emotions. And that's not always the case. You can be, you can be pretty self-aware and still lie to yourself with some emotions out of wanting to be strong through them, out of not wanting to feel the pain of disappointment or betrayal. So, 
you know, it, it, it's a perfect time now to get real with your emotions and bring that realness to God because in that you can be healed. He can't heal you if you don't, if, if you're not being truthful with yourself about your emotions and what you're going through. Okay. If we want to stop our patterns of toxic thinking, we must notice what's happening and take action. Countering any lies we believe about what God with the truth that interrupts the downward spiral. And to do that effectively, we're going to need some help. The mind of Christ. It's almost impossible to navigate through our culture without being bombarded with messages about how we can do better and be better. Experts speak directly to our desire for hope through self-improvement books, websites, articles, infomercials, and so on. We feel a surge of optimism, the thrill of anticipation rises within us. When we hear how the right mantra, the right workout, the right financial plan, the right determination will lead us to the better, more fulfilling life we sense should be ours. Who doesn't like to nip and tuck, to plan a resolve, to declare and push and grow? Who doesn't like the idea that with a little determination, we can be better than we were before? None of us want to stay stuck where we are. We all want to flourish, to thrive. Despite the wild success of today's lifestyle gurus, the idea of self-help is nothing new. Hundreds of years before Jesus' time, people were writing ethical arguments to help people choose wiser, better lives. The self-help culture is as we know it today has its most obvious origins in the 19th century. For example, in 1859, Samuel Smiles wrote a book that was titled, Fittingly, Self-Help. You may recognize the famous maxim Smiles included, Heaven helps those who help themselves. This message is so readily embraced that people have often been sure it's a quotation from scripture. It isn't. The line is found nowhere in the Bible, but it might as well be. Who needs God when the real helper is inside us, is self? Ideas like this help birth the self-help industry. Time marched on and others joined the cause. Dale Carnegie released How to Win Friends and Influence People. Psychotherapy grew more and more popular. Infomercials became a thing. Motivational speakers began to draw crowds. And here we sit in a post-truth society bombarded with promises of happiness, wealth, fulfillment, and all the dreams met. Yet we are miserably unhappy. Why? Because for all the good that self-help does, that help always comes up short in the end. The best that self-help can do with our suffering, with our shortcomings, with our spiral is to reject it, to determine to do better, to declare Today, this awfulness stops. But we don't simply need our spiraling thoughts to stop. We need our minds to be redeemed. Bondage, necessities, rescue. Oppression needs to be lifted. Blindness waits for sight. Waywardness must be transformed. No self-generated declaration, loud and passionate though it may be, can bring about this liberation. Instead, we need to complete transformation. Our minds exchanged for the mind of Christ. We are not made to think more good thoughts about ourselves. We are made to experience life and peace as we begin to think less about ourselves and more about our creator and about others. Seek first the kingdom, Jesus said. The greatest commandments, love God and love others. The only true self-help is for us as followers of Jesus to believe who we are as daughters and sons of the king of the universe and to know that our identities are secured by the shed blood of God's own son. 
When we believe that about ourselves, we think less about ourselves and more about the mission we have been given to love God and the people God puts in front of us, no matter our circumstances. Sure, you can make a certain amount of progress on your own, but you're not going to have the fruit of the spirit and you're not going to have the mind of Christ. Are those who urge us to take control of our lives entirely wrong? No, we do have a part to play. But our effort won't take us across the finish line if there is no outside force shifting the inside of us. What do you do once you take a thought captive? You then submit that thought to Christ. That is how you experience a new mind, a new identity, a new way to live, one that's spirit-empowered. The world understands that no progress can be made without doing the work. They understand it better than many Christians do. But self-help can offer only a better version of yourself. Christ is after a whole new you, God in you, the mind of Christ, the fruit of the spirit coming through you. You go from dying, withered spruce tree to a thriving fruit tree producing pears. It's a completely new creation. This work, this shift we're going to make might be the most important thing we've ever done, but we don't do it merely as another self-improvement project. We do it because we want to live a new creation kind of life. A life that truly matters. A life in Christ that God has promised. Wow. Um, I'm on page uh, 58 now. Right, 58. I'm on page 61. Drawing battle lines. But before I continue, this is chapter 7 I'm on now. Uh, I just want to say really quickly, one of the things I've struggled with greatly in my life is um, excessive eating. And there have been times in my life where I have felt very disciplined and I was able to control the excessive eating and I was on track, lost a lot of weight. I'm currently on a weight loss journey now. And then this, as time will go on, some way, somehow that discipline will slip and I'll start excessively eating again. And then once I start, it, be it becomes hard to stop. And just recently... I was battling with this just recently and I prayed and prayed and prayed. And then one day I woke up and some way I just, I just felt like you're, you're going to be disciplined today. You Today, today you feel like you can be disciplined and it lasted. It lasted. And this is recent. It lasted for, for like, uh, I want to say two weeks. I was able to lose about a few pounds. I don't know how many exactly, but you can tell how your clothes fit if you lost some weight. And then... Sure enough, the excessive eating will come back. So it's very powerful what Jenny Allen talks about here. You, we, we can't do it alone. And sometimes when life feels really rough and you, you realize you're going through the same thing over and over again, it's because you're being asked to surrender. You're being asked to, to die, right? Kill who you were so you become something new. Not kill yourself, y'all. Please don't mistake what I'm saying. The person who you once were needs to die so that you can be reborn, so that you can, you can shift into the new you. And a lot of the times we do try to work out everything on our own. Some of us become overachievers and we think that that's the way to have true happiness. But the reason why we see so many celebrities who are unhappy is because we can't do it alone. All the possessions in the world, all the friends in the world, that does not bring true happiness. So those feelings of depression will come back again because the true way to, to that internal joy is through Christ. That true way 
to internal joy and peace within ourselves because we can't control what's going on out in the world. We can't. But to have that inner peace and that inner joy, that must come from Christ. That must come from you learning his ways. And I, I tell you, Jesus Christ has such an amazing story. His ministry just, it, it shakes me up in ways, makes me, makes me want to be a better person, makes me want to dive more into how he lived his life. Because yes, he gave and he served. So it didn't, it didn't leave enough time for him to just dwell on what was going on with him. You know, he lived his life to serve. And that's why Jenny Allen says, you know, the more we think about loving God and loving others, the less we're just focused on stress at work, stress over finances. Am I good enough? Am I worthy? Am I a failure? Oh man, I feel rejected in my relationship. I feel rejected in my, in, at work. You know, we go through these feelings all the time. And many of us question, you know, how can we, how can we break free? How can we break the chains of, of these negative emotions, of these toxic thoughts? And I really feel like Jenny Allen does a great job at showing us a, a way that can truly bring us that internal joy and peace that we're all really after. Right? Okay, so I'm on chapter seven, drawing battle lines. As we head into this part, I want to pull you super close and tell you what's about to happen and why. I'm going to train you to fight. Remember, the greatest spiritual battle of our generation is being fought between our ears. This is the epicenter of the battle. Before Eve ate that fruit, she had a thought it was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. And then she took some and ate it. David, before he sinned with Bathsheba and had her husband killed, had a thought the woman was very beautiful. Before Mary birthed Jesus, she had a thought, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Before Jesus chose to go to the cross, he had a thought, Father, not my will, but yours be done. How we think shapes our lives. Every great or horrible act we see in history and in our lives is preceded by a thought. And that one thought multiplies into many thoughts that develop into a mindset, often without our even realizing it. Our goal is to be aware of our thoughts and deliberately build them into mindsets that lead to the outcomes we want and the outcome God wants for us. One God-honoring thought has the potential to change the trajectory of both history and eternity. Just as one uninterrupted lie in my head has the potential to bring about unimaginable destruction in the world around me. The battleground is not you yelling at your kids or cheating on your taxes or staring at your phone for hours on end. The battleground is not even you serving at the local homeless shelter or joining the parking team at your church. The epicenter of the battleground, the source of every word and deed that comes out of your mouth in life begins in your thought life. You aren't what you eat. You aren't what you do. You are what you think. The Bible says as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Satan knows that we are what we think. So if we are believing things that are not true about us, then we are believing what the devil wants us to believe instead of what God wants us to believe. You probably know what that one most recurring thought is for you. The one sticky thought that more than any other informs your other thoughts and yes, your actions. The enemy will tell you that change is hopeless, that you're a victim of your circumstances and your thought patterns. The enemy wants you to settle, to find a way just to survive and be somewhat happy. The enemy will urge you to accept that this is just who you are, that your thinking is rooted too deeply in your personality or your upbringing to ever make a shift. Your first objective is to capture the thought, 
to have the courage to face that defining destructive thought and interrupt it. I have a choice. Remember, this journey is not primarily about behavioral change, though that may be a product. I can make no promises that this journey will change your circumstances. You will still lose your job, battle an autoimmune disease, or not find the perfect husband. Taking every thought captive is not about what happens to us. It's about choosing to believe that God is with us, is for us, and loves us even when all hell comes against us. But I have better news. Capturing thoughts and then believing the truth will inform and shape every aspect of your life and give you peace and joy that transcend your circumstances. How? Because Jesus defeated sin, Satan, and death and rose from the grave. And because that same resurrection power indwells men and women who have been redeemed by the gospel. This is a journey into joy that makes zero sense based on our circumstances. This is a fight for clear, focused purpose amid rampant consumism. This is a God-given peace that surpasses understanding for our seasons of suffering. This is redeeming the time amid unprecedented distraction and noise. Let me read that again. This is the redeeming the time amid unprecedented distraction and noise. This is the beauty of esteeming others amid a narcissistic culture. This is learning to speak the truth and love in a world that says we should never offend. This is how you can breathe deeply and sleep peacefully in an anxiety-ridden society. This is an outwardly way to live. You, as a believer, are a citizen of another reality. Let's learn to think like it. In this part of the book, I want to offer a series of patterns that have helped position me from making the shift from negative, fleshy, worldly thinking to the supernatural but simple way the Apostle Paul talked about, thinking that reflects the mind of Christ. When we get confused about our distracted from the main point, we end up squabbling about unconsequential issues, using all our energy to fight the wrong enemy without realizing we've been duped. If we're not careful, we'll look up one day and realize we've been in the wrong battle all along. We'll find ourselves fighting against flesh and blood. When scripture is clear in Ephesians that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And one of the greatest tools of the enemy is confusion. When we're confused, he wins the day. So let me spell out with crystal clarity where we're headed in the next part of this book. The problem we face, the mission we embrace, and the victory that ours in the end. The problem. Every toxic thought spiraling emotionally cycle and trap of the enemy we fall for somehow deep down involves a wrong belief about God. I don't want to overcomplicate the problem. Romans 8 lays it out so clearly. A mindset on flesh leads to sin and death, and a mindset on the spirit leads to life and peace. That is the simple reality we face. But shifting our minds from flesh to spirit is an ongoing work of the spiritual life. It is not a one-time decision, but a day-by-day, moment-by-moment choice to move from chaos and confusion toward the peace of Christ in various areas of our thought lives. Every enemy we are going to discuss here traces back to a core reality, which is that a battle is being waged for our lives. Standing between us and victory is one of the three barriers, or perhaps all three. The devil, our wounds, our sin.
Sometimes attack comes directly from Satan and his strategy is obvious. He tempts with evil and loves to inflict suffering. Usually, however, he is sneaky. He tempts with successes and hypnotizes with comforts until we are numb to and apathetic about all that matters. Equally true. Since we live in a fallen world, brokenness is our home. For now, anyway. We see this reality everywhere. In broken families and in longings that never seem to be satisfied. Circumstances befall us constantly that scream. Things are not as they should be. Yet we hardly notice because this is the only home we've known. We tend to carry around deep hurt from our brokenness, really noticing it, never dealing with it or healing from it. But as difficult as the first two realities are, the most common trouble we face in this life takes the form of sin, specifically our sin, as in the stuff that you and I do or don't do, whichever the case may be. Most of the time, you and I won't be taken down by a massive demonic attack. Our own small choices are accomplishing everything the devil intends. Our passivity and destruction with zero effort on his part. He is out to steal and kill and destroy. Honestly, it's often difficult to know which of the three is behind the attack. But bottom line, we are at war. Hence the need for targeted strategy. The mission. To defend ourselves in the midst of battle. We will learn to name the specific enemies we each are facing. I have identified seven enemies I see rampant and warring against our minds. We will learn to employ the right weapons at the right time to overcome the enemy. Enjoy renewed intimacy with Jesus and walk in greater freedom than we have before. Phew, big task. Thankfully for us, big God. We will name the lies that threaten us. We will learn to spot the signs that we've been sucked into the enemy's trap. We will learn to fight the war against our minds. We will learn what happens when we choose to shift our thoughts to God, to the truth of who he is and the truth of who we are because of him. We will learn to seize things like community and service and gratitude as we live out the truth and we will stand victorious in the end, which brings me to the secret weapon that ensures the outcome of our mission, the victory that is ours. In Deuteronomy 20, God reminds Israel that he is with them in their battle and that he is with us. Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. Ready for the good news? Through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, God has rendered the fights we face his fights too. Because of Jesus, every fight has been ultimately won. Victory, it's already yours. It's already mine. What's left for us is to claim that victory. We're going to look at both the enemies of our minds and the truths that set us free. If God is in us and is for us, then you and I can choose to fight from a place of victory. We can stand confident that God will prevail. We have talked about what it means to take every thought captive, and we have talked about the one interrupting thought, I have a choice. Now we are going to battle against the unfeated thoughts that define us. Once the thought has been interrupted, we enter neutral ground. We then get to decide whether we're going to choose life and peace, the mind of Christ, the fruit of the spirit, or sin and death, the mind of the flesh. In each of the next seven chapters, we are going to retrain our minds to think about truth. As we go to war with each toxic, twisted thought, we will begin to see the fruit and freedom of believing truth.
walking moment by moment in our identity as children of God. The spiraling chaotic thoughts that have so long kept us trapped will give way to the peace and beauty and abundant life Jesus died to give us. Yeah, right. Quiet time with God. Have you seen my schedule? I'm not much of a space and solitude kind of person. I go crazy if it's too quiet. I'm sure God has better things to do than help me with my little problems. I don't have time to slow down. I'll feel better when I get through my to-do list. Huh. Chapter 8 reads, Holding space for silence. I choose to be still with God. How often do we feel like, look, and I can admit there's times where I felt like I couldn't get quiet enough for God. Like, my days just seem so hectic, you know. And I would say like, oh, not today, not today. And there were days where I didn't pick up my Bible. You know, there were days where I didn't think enough about God. And honestly, those are my most rough days. You know, there's a lot of times where we think we just don't have time to quiet down for God, but we can always make time for God as God always makes time for us. This is an amazing book. I'm going to get to chapter eight next week. I like to break down the book into a few chapters every week, about two two chapters each week, because then, you know, you guys get to re-listen if you want to and, and really take in the word. You know, I, I really don't want to race through the book because this is important things that we're learning here. You know, learning how to retrain our minds, to be renewed um, by the transformation of our minds, to break down the issue that we're having and find our truths so that we can in turn Go to God and know his truths. You know, that is so important right now. So important. After the year 2020, getting closer to God, getting to know Jesus Christ and having that eternal joy and peace, I think is something that we are all after. I know so many of us suffer with negative thoughts about ourselves, you know, about where where are we going? What is my purpose here? You know, and it, I think it's time that we all together Find out ways that we can not only go to war, but claim our victory. You know, it's time to claim our victory. It's time to take our power back. You know, how how often have you felt like things were going okay, and then you just felt like the rug was snatched from under your feet? That happens so often. You know, so so often we we are overwhelmed by our toxic thoughts. And I'm excited. I'm excited for the next seven chapters, you know, you know, to, to see how Jenny Allen has broken down ways where we can take captive of our thoughts and really retrain our minds for better living. You know, I, I've listened to a lot of leaders in my line of work. I've joined a lot of um, lives where, yes, it is a lot about being self-sufficient. Jenny Allen was not lying there. You know, how many of us feel like, you know, the job doesn't get done unless we do it ourselves? So many of us, so many of us feel like that. Like we have to do everything on our own. And what Jenny Allen is saying, which I agree with even before reading it, is that we can't do it on our own. We can't. We can't. That's why sometimes life feels so hard. You know, all the finances in the world doesn't make that internal joy feel that fruitful. You know, only God can do that. Only Jesus Christ can do that. So I'm excited. I am excited to um, go on to the next uh, couple of chapters. I hope you guys are as well. Yep. This is a big task, but God, there's nothing bigger than God, y'all. There's nothing bigger than God. God will prevail. And that's something that we just have to have faith in. There's, there's, there's nothing like faith. I'm telling you, nothing like faith. Because even when our body goes, there's life after that. Right? So 
Woo, I'm excited. I'm excited. I hope you guys enjoyed those um, last two chapters. If you are not caught up, please feel free to go ahead and listen to the other recordings so you can catch up. And yeah, you guys have a blessed, blessed day. Remember, you have a choice. The next time you have a thought that you just feel doesn't align with God, just remember you have a choice. Whether you're going to align your thought with God or align your thought with the flesh. And no, it won't be easy. That's why we have to retrain our minds. Okay, so have a blessed day, everyone. Uh, Be good to yourselves. Be good to your families. And God bless.